Welcome back to Relative Digressions. I'm Flick, this is Renner, and I am going to start with a question. Renner, do you know the secret to good podcasting? Uh, is it regularly uh, uploading episodes? Timing. Right, okay. Well, we're not good at either of those things. Re- regular listeners will realise that it isn't November or 2021. Is that, is that when we last said we'd be releasing that was, a that thing? That was when we said we'd be releasing a thing. Okay, well, we lied. I think what happened is that um, you may have noticed that there, there stopped being like lockdowns everywhere, and so we just had a lot less time than we previously did. I mean, in contrast, I, I was actually at home a lot more in the period where we weren't recording <laughs> with COVID. Right, uh, which is just sort of excitingly killing you in various ways, as far as I can tell, as a result of yeah. um, various fun post-viral effects. Uh, but I think also we felt that we'd sort of said most of the things we wanted to say, or at least we were worried we were sort of treading around in circles. Well, this is the thing. If you go back to what we started as, I was introducing you to Classic Who, and and that happened. Like, you didn't know right. anything about Robert Holmes or Roger Delgado or JNT or Season... But, but now you do. Now you're just an enfranchised fan like yeah i mean i mean i think i think i regret i reject the dichotomy to a degree i certainly don't feel like an enfranchised i don't feel enfranchised no, i but still feel totally that there's are. lots about the fandom no for sure but there's, you know, I feel that there's lots about the fandom that's inaccessible and that i'd like to be introduced to and so i think there is still some degree of discovering new episodes and so on and so forth that we could do but you have but passed the doctor no in long- distress horizon well, that that was passed long ago, as as, as you know, um, to my uh, eternal regret. So, so if, if Flick, I have a question for you: If we're only going to make episodes of relative digression when there's something to talk about, why are we here? Well, what 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 you don't understand is that actually, we took a leaf out of Chris Chibnall's brilliant viral marketing book because. <laughs> Doctor Who podcasters spontaneously disappearing without a trace is very relevant right uh because the show did a whole thing of like everything deleting because of, of, of the doctor or something right i still don't understand why they did that i still don't understand why they it's did really that. unclear but but no this, this isn't actually relevant to the tv show which is in i would say a moribund place but not brighter things on the horizon as we'll say um but there's only there's only 90 minutes left <sighs> Oh, trust in the Chibnall plan, trust in the Chibnall plan, she says, <laughs> clutching her knees. Um, but no, because I have, be- I and you have been following along to um, BBC Sounders Redacted podcast, which is an audio drama, basically, uh, a, a Doctor Who audio drama being made under the BBC Sounds auspices. And it, it's it's quite good, I would say. So the interesting thing about this is that, if I've understood correctly, this didn't originate in Cardiff, or with Chibnall, well, we, but to, uh, to, to, to be the, clear, we're using Cardiff as a synecdoche for for you know the operation, the the yeah, main up, up boat. Yeah, exactly. It, it's not out of the boat anymore, is it? But you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, head 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 office of Doctor Who up the top of uh, post office. Sorry, I, I I've literally just got the image of Chibnall working in an office that is shaped like his face, and I I don't know where this. <laughs> <laughs> like a nineties like cartoon villain. <laughs> right. It's like a little Chibnall head on, on like the perch on the side of like the river or whatever in Cardiff and he's just there right away. Um Um Right. Yeah. 
Um, no, I've lost my train of thought. What was yeah, I no, saying? I mean, uh, so you were saying uh, not that. So, so it didn't come from it didn't come from Chris Chibnall's head fortress. If if I understand it right correctly, mm-hmm. um, oh head office, I just got it. Very good. I, I mean, the thing is, I wasn't deliberately thinking about that. It's just how my brain works. But yes, <laughs> um, if BBC Sounds wanted to promote their platform, mm-hmm. and one of the BBC Sounds producers went to Chibnall et al. and said, can we do a Doctor Who audio drama podcast? Right. And as far as I know, basically everything about the project has been under their aegis. I'm not sure Chibnall really has had any input as far as I can tell. Right. And it's interesting how that might... uh, I mean, like, I don't we're one episode away from the end um this will this uh podcast will probably contain some spoilers i think basically oh yeah we should probably mention there will be some mild spoilers like we're not going to go into the if we're going to say anything that i think is going to really blow your doors wide open i'll I'll flag that up when when i'm going to say it but sure but there will be some sort of general and you should go what like you you know we're going to mention how the doctor turns out to be a vampire and uh kills anyway um well i think that i think i think i think you shouldn't have thought that actually because i thought the uh dracula is just doctor with the letters rearranged was actually quite a good reveal um yeah i mean i wasn't sure about the retcon of how doctor was spelled that was confusing but uh, you know i thought they made it work um you know so i think (laughs) the interesting thing uh, what was it so why are we talking about this why are we um where we talking about this because we're categorically incapable of not discussing Doctor Who to the nth degree. Yes, but why are we, the two of us, discussing Doctor Who Redacted in particular? Like, I'm just going to say it. Um, so Doctor Who Redacted is written by Juno Dawson, uh, who's a trans woman, and it has cast in it um, a trans woman playing a trans character who is, quote-unquote, the first... No, that's, isn't, that isn't true, because I think there's been one at Big Finish, but like... No, but that is how they advertised it. Right, exactly. It is how they advertised right, it. Like, it's not true, but the, it is the how The first they trans companion, or, or, or more or less. So, and this is interesting, because it's happening at a time when, as you say, fairly, fairly recently, there has been a trans companion on Big Finish. Um, I think it's interesting yeah. to reflect that they're, it's being marketed as, like, more canon than... I, I don't know, do, do you know what I mean? It, it was weird in that yes, sense. Yes, but I mean, I think that's just down to the fact that like its purposes to advertise BBC Sounds, it serves their purposes not to acknowledge Big Finish. Right, exactly. To be cynical. No, I mean, yeah, Big Finish is sort of the the dirty secret that nobody at the BBC wants to say the name of out loud. But ultimately, it's but, kind of the background of a lot of a lot of stuff. But where where it gets fascinating is that this, therefore, is like a, a completely encapsulated production that is not serving any master but itself. Uh, obviously, you know, it's going to have to have gone through approvals and all of that, but it was, it, it was working entirely off its own bat, and it's sort of like, okay, if you reboot Doctor Who afresh now without any sort of legacy hanging over it, where do they arrive at? And they arrove... arrove. That's the past tense of arrive now. They arrove at, um, you know, Juno Dawson as showrunner with 
trans and queer cast and that very central in the plot line and stuff. And just as this starts coming out, Russell T. Davis uh, announces Yasmin Finney is playing Rose somehow. So y- Yasmin Finney so, is a um, uh, is a woman of colour, tra- like a trans woman of colour, and she's playing Rose as in the character previously played, or a different version of all question mark. We don't know what's going on there, played by Billy Piper. We don't know exactly, but no. but she is she is somehow Rose. And they're not caveating um, that. Really, you know, maybe that will be the they, case. Yeah, they've just, they've just. I mean, I think Russell Davis is having a big, a big giggle at not having put any kind of asterisk on that, but just having gone, she's Rose, right? And that, and, and, and I think he's having a big giggle at the the impact of that. Yeah, and that's that's funny and good. I mean, and I think I'm probably right in saying. I mean, we, we've said not not that we can really speak to those aspects, but I think I'm right in saying that um, of the three main cast on uh, Redacted, two are non-white. Um, and so it's, it's interesting how, and it is notable how, I guess, like, fresh this redacted feels. It, 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 it feels like if it's in dialogue with anything, and it is in dialogue with past who, that's the thing. It's not entirely self-contained in the sense of you don't need to know anything previously. But what, what it's clearly is, is something written by and for people who grew up with new who as, like, their classic who. Like, it doesn't... It has some references to classic who, but most of the stuff it is calling back to, and it is rich with callbacks, but most of the stuff it's calling back to as like, almost like IS back in the day, are stuff that happened in episodes that broadcast in 05, 06, 07, 08 and onwards. And actually, I say onwards, but actually mostly RTD who. I think there's very few callbacks to... We'll have to see where the final finale goes, but there's very few callbacks actually um, to Moffat, who, apart from some of the stuff with Unit, which which Moffat did a lot more yeah. with. Um, well, so this is that there are sort of two sides to this, which are what it's doing with Doctor Who and what it's doing with it, its themes and its voice, and they are. They seem quite disparate, but I think that there is a connecting through line here which speaks to, um, I don't have a better word for it than just like the moment, not not the Gallifrey and Superweapon, the moment that Doctor Who is in right now, whose, whose voices and whose identities it currently cares about and wants to be for in a non-exclusionary way, not like it's just for these people, nobody else. What what I mean is, like obviously, trans identities, queer identities have always existed, but the show has not previously spoken to them, uh, and the fact that it is now speaking to those people, I think, is of a piece with the era that it is mining, because the people who are speaking loudest for those people are the generation who was of the age for Russell T. Davies Who to be the biggest Doctor Who imprint on them. Yeah, and it's... That was a very run-on sentence. No, I mean, I got some of it. I think what I took away from that <laughs> is that transsex- transsexuality is the uh, Gallifreyan super weapon that's going to destroy Doctor Who. 
that was my takeaway. Right, it's just the new trend, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly. just a trend. Uh, no, but um, I, I mean, you know, this I, is the I, episode that's going to get us cancelled. I was chatting this with my. Like, uh, we are going to get cancelled as trans people for being bad trans. That's true. Yeah. I aspire to be the worst trend. <laughs> I was chatting with my housemate earlier, and he was just sort of reminiscing a little about RTD Who and how, like, in many ways, you know, it's easy to things have moved on enough that it's easy to forget how progressive it was. Certainly on stuff like kind of yeah. gay gay rights stuff at the time, and like uh, and like you know Jack kissing the kissing the doctor on the screen that happens in yeah. in season one. There's a bunch of stuff which feels almost run of the mill now, but it wasn't then actually. And and I think it's significant with the casting of oh, oh what's his name the new Doctor Shooty Gatworth right uh yeah so the casting of Shooty Gatworth as uh the new Doctor specifically because he's been in sex education which I'm not really into because kind of I feel like I'm a bit old for it but I understand it's like in some ways uh, like if you're a Zoomer right now might be or can be quite important to you or like you know has has resonated a bit with your generation um yeah i mean so this is the moment is it is the moment where the show has realized that the people it was speaking to which was us it it needs to move on from us right and not exclude us but but it's time to court the sex education heart stopper era which isn't our era right and, and actually more than that I I can't remember exactly how old Juno Dilson is, but actually, and it's time for us to tell those stories to the Zoomers and to the young, yeah. younger generation, the generation younger than them too. It's, actually, um, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't help but think of it as like the generation it's for is is the Sith apprentice, and the generation that's telling it is the Sith master. Right. Okay. That's because we've been talking about a lot of do- <laughs> Star Wars the last few days. Um, uh, I I will say, um, just because I don't want to lose it in all of this big picture stuff, which is good. G- genuinely, um, I mean, not that I feel like I talked much about it, and I didn't realise how important it was to me. And, and Cleo, who is the main character, who's, who's trans on the show, it, you know, her life's very different from mine. I I, I'm, I, I was come from a more middle-class background. I have much more supportive parents, and those are big themes that aren't true for her. But actually, I, genuinely, I don't read or see many narratives about British trans people on stuff just don't but these are the lives of people like me and certainly my mates you know a good portion of my friends are trans and, well, i and think actually, we haven't seen but but they're bubbling up now that's that's right and it honestly it really felt has been nice to listen to this podcast and be like oh this it, it, within doctor who right it's because it's not just it it is neither just ser- um ser- like a a token thing that's true, but actually then they're going to go on and tell you know a story about I don't know space blamanges or whatever. But neither is it just solely about that. Like Cleo's being trans, her experience of existing as trans in Britain, her, her her family stuff, um, the all of that are are key kind of thematic touchstones and, and stuff that the other characters have going on too comes up for them but kind of I, I would say Cleo is probably the closest it has to a main character out of the three of them though they do a good job to kind of keep it mostly I think an ensemble cast for most of mm. it but like it, it it feels thematically interlinked but not in like obvious ways you know 
I feel like, I, I mean, I don't think Chibnall, who has made a trans episode, and that feels like a terrifying idea. I'm, I'm glad it never has happened, and I hope it never does. I mean, it, would, it wouldn't have been diabolically awful. It would have just been confused. In a sense, this is, the, like, the Chibnall's biggest weakness is what keeps it sort of never horrendously aggressively offensive which is just that it's always too confused to actually say anything clearly right but i think what it also it would have been about is it's very notable to me that actually clear's story is not really about transition it's not a transition narrative no. it, it, in any way it is it's a life about living as a trans person and that is a different thing about family it's about it's about family family, um, family. no it's not about it, it sort of is about family but it's about I don't know, um, the little mundane things in the world. And I, I, I just, I, I have really enjoyed it. And I think, actually, you know what? I don't think of myself as, I, I don't sort of think, oh, actually, I like representation. But then, actually, maybe I do, because this has really spoken to me. And I've enjoyed listening to it. Um, it's good. To, to be clear, it's good. We haven't actually said that. It's good. Oh, yeah, it's good. It's, I mean, it's very it's, good. I, I think I think it's um, a bit up and down in terms of quality, in the sense that like not every episode is written by the same set of people, and I'm not going to name any names, but you know, like there were some episodes I enjoyed more than others, but none of the episodes have been bad. They're very short, which is quite nice. Like twenty minutes is a nice bite sized size for a little episode. A lot of people were complaining about that, and I I I waded in like, no, you don't understand. This is like four six hour episodes is a completely different format like you it's not it's not a budget thing it's a creative thing there's a reason to do it well like also this. you know for this sort of market you know it that's that's about the length of time that you might want for a commute podcast um i know when i worked in london back in the day you know <laughs> half an hour was about the length of my commute like it, it's very very reasonable you, you, you could... say that but then again is it is it it's it's not speaking to people who do the kind of commute um i i mean I, my impression in london is that most people do like like commuting okay, that's london though maybe yes no you know it's true um uh, uh, flick has a as i discovered quite recently has a difficult relationship with the tube um um no that's true but i think it is i think it's talking to people who listen to its podcast at the gym or, or all the places that people listen to yeah i think podcasts. that's much more accurate um well i think i think it's a selection of that stuff right i think the work commute podcast thing is is, is older and uh, is less of a thing oh maybe i mean i'm not but... thinking about driving to a commute or whatever i just think that I, w I was thinking that okay more generally it's about the length of time i might have if i was on the on public transport somewhere wherever that is yeah um yeah. Which doesn't have to be a commute, but certainly I think, yeah, getting about. I think it's a good length. It's a good length for um, getting up, brushing my teeth, and making a coffee in the morning. Yeah, I mean, currently I'm listening to a podcast that's four and a half hours of people dig digging into Stephen King's It, which is a, a thousand-page book, which is one of the reasons it takes so long. Um, and I'm having to no, sort of just. I'm sorry, that's too long. I'm having uh, to take that in uh, Speaking snatch. as the person who made a two and a half podca hour podcast about Genesis of the Daleks, that's too long. I mean, it's very good, but I'm having to sort of tackle it in chunks. Um, it, it's it's like being given an entire cake. I just have to take it a slice at a time. Whereas uh, Redacted feels very snacksy, and I like that. Um, I think that's also if we get, let's jump. I think jumping back to the the Doctor Who side again. Mm -hmm. 
it's snacky in a way where each episode is like, hey, remember this specific alien? Well, we're going to we're gonna have a bite of that specific alien this week. Yes, yes. It, it does this more, I think, in some of the earlier stuff. But it, yes, it very much does that. And it, it's... It, I mean, it's, some of it's quite deep cuts. Like, I think one of the aliens who's got the most screen time in terms of calling back their plots has been the Adipose, who appear in one yeah, they do show up a lot. episode of season four. They're quite memorable. No, they are, very, but that's the thing. They're very memorable, but actually... They have actually appeared again. Oh, well, okay, fine. I mean, I, yeah, okay. I, in the background of shot. Sure, sure. In okay, one random Sure, episode. okay, I don't care, but... I like, my point is that they aren't. If the show was going to call back to an old creature, they would. The show wouldn't call back to the adipose, right? But actually, um, hmm, I wonder. Uh, so I, I mean, I could imagine because I think RTD is going to do some of this. So I, I, I don't disagree. The, I, the current show would. Oh well, Chib- like Chibnall, who no, uh, like no. Chibnall, who would. This is this. The thing about the fact that this was sort of almost made in like an isolated soundproofed booth that the current um, TV era of Doctor Who could not penetrate is that it is just a completely different epoch. But I think, like reading the tea leaves, I think that it is doing something that will be recognisable in in what is going to come. Yeah, I mean, we, we um, what I will say is... Our last podcast was kind of just in the wake of the RTD2 announcement. And after everything I've seen since, there's an energy and a confidence to every single press release that gets put out. That's just basically every one of them feels like RTD is just staring in the eyes and going, yeah, yeah, RTD is back, baby. It's good again. Oh, woo. Brackets. Wolf howl. And. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Like, you know, he's not. He he doesn't have to be that loud about it anymore. No, like, sure. It, it's the quiet confidence of somebody who's just he he just knows he's good. He no, just knows no, he's sure. Good. But that, that, that's what I mean. He's just looking in the eyes. But the subtext is, oh yeah, oh yeah. But he doesn't oh, need Chris to say Chibnall it. He's just bleeding out in a corner of his lounge. <laughs> he's, that's just he's been stabbed with an icicle in the middle of his like giant <laughs> head office. And there's like chalk <laughs> around him as the icicle slowly melts. And they're like, oh, we'll never catch you ever did this. Um, when we were talking about who might take over literally 24 hours before Russell T. Davies was announced. Yes. Um, I said that I thought somebody like Michaela Cole would be sort of exactly what was needed, but that she would never do it because... You know, she she just done. I may destroy you. She was p- following projects that she was writing, producing, directing, starring in. She had full control. Of, nobody in TV has full control, but as close to as you can get, full control of her voice and what she wanted to say. And like, she just wouldn't be interested in doing Doctor Who because that is not the case for anyone working on Doctor Who. They don't get to have their unmitigated voice. Um, and I think Redacted is interesting because actually it clearly has given Juno Dawson as the showrunner on it. I mean, I'm sure that there was red tape and stuff, but something closer to an unmitigated voice than has previously been allotted to anyone on Doctor Who. What's interesting is this feeling that RTD might give that kind of creative 
there could be more redacted, right? Yeah, I mean that's. I think there will be. Um, you know, people keep coming back to the RTD quote about doing Doctor Who the way the Marvel Cinematic Universe works. And if you think back to the early years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they realized that having everything follow the Marvel formula was starting to stagnate their films in a way that people were picking up on. And their response to that was to target big name indie directors who had a significantly like distinct fingerprint and deliberately to get them to put that fingerprint on what they were doing. Uh, and I'm not na- so naive as to think that they were giving these people free reign by any means. But what they realised was actually the way to diversify their assets. Why did I use that phrase? Well, no, I think anyway. it's, I think it's the right phrase because I think be, <laughs> for the, Disney, you're right. The mouse yeah. do take a coldly commercial attitude to entertainment production. Yeah, which what was to get people with distinct voices and try and put that distinct voice onto things. So instead of all the Marvel things have a single coherence, you have Sam Raimi doing Sam Raimi. Right. I mean, uh, Doctor Strange 2 is basically a Sam Raimi flick, apart from the part where it's like Disney clearly go, assuming direct control, and then just like some MCU stuff happens, and then then they're like, assuming direct direct control. control. Um... uh, but then the rest, then many other parts of it are perfectly serviceable samurai flick. Um, it's basically an army of dead, like army of dead across the multiverse. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, it's got just sw- swap Benedict Cumberbatch and Bruce Campbell's roles, and it, there you go. It, it, it is quite funny to me that basically the entire plot is about a big evil book with magic with dark spells in. And I, I don't know. The thing is, this is an established thing in the canon there, but also Sam Raimi was really like, well, obviously we're doing this. It's the only thing yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right, exactly. Um, um, anyway, um, back, to, back, back to Doctor Who, though. I mean, I, I think the interesting thing about this is, um, like, the Doctor Who as a business voice IP is, is actually this really rich one. Like, beyond the TV show, you've got scad years of comics and books and red BBC red button <laughs> BBC red button special features and so much right and actually it's and audio stuff everything that big finishes put out all the just all of it and actually it's very untapped um yeah it, it doesn't surprise me that Mr Doctor Who Froobs is coming back and I think in some ways, I mean, the RTD is, is, has always been someone who is good at the business side of, of um, producing in a way that like augments and um, synergizes with his creative instincts. Um, like he has that um, show person's instincts, you know, he knows it, what it's, it's the same touch that JNT had in a good way. Right. Like, like and, good, J, good JNT. And it isn't a touch that Moffat really had, though he had many other qualities. Um, and Moffat, Moffat's big success, I think, was shifting the show to America. Right, yeah. And I, he had, uh, you know, we're not here to relitigate the Moffat era because some people like it, I many people don't, and all sorts of stuff there. And I think it's safe to well, say like that Chib- half of it. Chibnall has qualities. I think I'm. So this, this, is, um, this is a thing that was being discussed on Twitter 
um, with the usual suspects sure. the other day. Because John Elledge in his big marathon has just arrived. Your Twitter photo. friend, John Elledge. I mean, he's every, like, no, sure. there isn't a Doctor Who discussion on Twitter that John isn't in. No, I know. It's just... It, it, jo- John probably discusses Doctor Who on Twitter more than I do. That's true. And you're literally employed to do that. Well, no, but almost. Um, no, I'm not I'm not allowed to do that. No, it's true. Um, so many things I wish I could say. Why John um, um Yeah, so he he's doing a uh, marathon news. And he here. so he his marathon has just arrived at the Chibnall era and the thing that he was realizing was that oh, actually the woman that fell to earth is a perfectly serviceable episode. And you know, actually a lot of that season aren't doldrums who there are certainly five out of 11 naff bad ones, but only maybe one of which is egregiously a bad episode. Uh, There are six good episodes, two great episodes. The thing is, none of them are building blocks. Uh, None of them are constructing a central thesis or a character arc or anything. No, there's nothing. I mean, I, I don't know if you follow Dawn Newt on Twitter, but that's someone else who's been doing a Doctor Who watch and he, he's just got to Chibnall Who and he's actually really slowed down because of how dire it is. But the Battle of Raskan and Owl, Cumberbatch, whatever it's called, um, followed by Spyfall, followed by... Oh, whatever follows... Sp- oh, it's Orphan whatever it is. Anyway, oh, yeah, I'll and I think his opinion on those was they sort of literally he literally thinks there's no, a... no, sorry, it's it's Ranskarev, Kolas, and then Resolution, and then Spyfall. Oh, okay, well, he either missed Resolution, or I can be anyway. Um, he may well have missed it actually, easily done. Uh, uh I, I think, um, he basically says they're some of the worst episodes he thinks the show has literally ever produced. Ah, uh, that's not true. No, no, I mean, I, I think. Yeah, but but the point is... is still better than most of the Matt Smith era. I think uh, it is it is the moral... Spyfall's not that bad, actually. Like, it is the moral the, the, lack that the, There's the terrible, yeah, terrible so I think, Nazi bit. I think I think the terrible Nazi bit did rather spoil the episode for him. Um, and yeah. Understandably so. Um, M- much like how I can't get on with Eve of the Daleks because the main character is a stalker. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, 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 which you know is is sort of true, right? Like it's you have to sort of either ignore that. Or... It's just true. It's just true. Um, it's not even subtext. It is text. Right, but it's 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 not clear. That it, anyway, yeah. So um, we're just talking about how Chibnall is bad, which is part of the problem. The thing is, I was trying to defend it for so long, and I'm just like, I can't. This is just the thing. No, but about... this is the thing. It's not episode by episode significantly bad like there's plenty of like fairly sure it's not standard bad. serviceable doctor who but it doesn't build or integrate it's and this just... is i think where flux went really wrong because right. if you are doing flux and you can't make your individual bits build and integrate what are you doing like you're literally trying to build a sandcastle out of cheese i mean i don't know, whether... I don't know. okay We'll workshop that. That I mean, was a bad analogy. What? Okay, because I feel like the sandcastle. I was trying is, to. Like, I was trying to think of because cheese is like more structurally stable than was... sand. So it's, I was it's, trying it's, to it's think like, of something it's, really. It's like making a cheese was... castle out of sand, I guess. I was trying to think of something really fine and powdery that didn't hang together. Like, cheese? and I thought of grated. 
I thought of grated parmesan. Yeah, yeah, cheese. grated parmesan. Sure, that's not okay. I so, think so probably you could clear, you're, you're, you're a professional parmesan, writer. You get paid to make up words for money. Get paid for the words, right? Okay. So I assume what's happening here is that you're saving your best words for for the paid subscribers. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Right. Okay. So um, I uh, the to, thing to, is the to, thing to is get this back. The, it's it's just it, it, what it feels like is confident. It's not confident. It's just naff. You will use this word. Like, it's naff. It's crap. But not in a way that means like I mean I think it's terrible. But just it's just it feels like. Well, to be honest, it feels like, uh, and let's not relitigate the Sixth Doctor, but it feels like the kind of way that that could feel at times, right? Even from the little I've seen, or just or Th- maybe this some... actually came up in the debate the other day, and and I think uh, somebody might have been Stephen. You were, said deb- that, you were debating and, the Sixth Doctor on Twitter. John disagreed that, and I disagree as well. Actually, like, oh no, it was John that said it. But some other people, including me, disagreed that actually it's not like the Sixth Doctor era. Somebody said the insightful thing that the Sixth Doctor era went wrong in very bold statement ways. That's the opposite of what's happening. No, exactly. And actually, it's just sort of, it, feel, it feels like that Chibnall, who is Doctor Who, dying with a whimper. And it's very exciting that, and I just feel so bad, really. And I'm sort of, because I really try to. Like for so long, I I feel so bad for Jodie Whittaker, because I think ultimately the Thirteenth Doctor is underwritten, and isn't going to be remembered fondly yeah. by enough people. I mean, and I think is. it's going to be yeah. she's going to be remembered fondly by people who for whom it being a, a a woman playing the part was really meaningful. And I'm really happy for those people. And I think she is not bad, and um, and I think she's doing an amazing job with what she's been given. But I don't think she's been given great stuff, and I just think that is true. And I think I feel so bad for her. Um, this is why um, this is why the BBC Sounds bubble version of making Doctor Who, which gave Juno Dawson and just said make Juno Dawson tells Doctor Who, uh, and didn't mitigate her voice, uh, like it gives. Even even though Redacted is very episodic, like we say, it's almost a sort of bite size each episode. It's like, now we're going to do this alien, now we're going to do this alien. But it is building character acts and themes and a comment because it is not afraid to have a showrunner who has a comment to make. Right, and I think, yeah, so now, yeah, getting back to the actual topic of discussion, yeah, I think this is why Redacted has felt so good. Is that it feels like someone is saying something. I once attended... Unit a... is an antagonist in it. Unit is portrayed really negatively. Well, yeah, I mean, I think its politics are explicitly, like, more leftist than the show has ever been. Yeah, um... there is a line in episode nine which uh, is is quite... A knowing line. It's delivered by an alien. Um, it, so it's not in universe social commentary. But they say that oh, the police box used to be a symbol of hope, but now it's become the opposite. Right. I which mean, is a I, very knowing line. I thought you were going to mention the, the the bit that happened in episode nine, which is that alien basically talking about unit having once done like a like done a, a big murder. 
Right. I still yeah. really want to do a, po- a whole podcast about the Silurians. Uh, right, and I, I think... Uh, look yes, for that spoilers. in a year and three days. Uh, I think the other thing too, right? I'm not, is... sure, I'm not sure it's spoilers to mention that the Silurians got blown up. Yeah, right, okay. That, the, it's the... been 50 years. Yeah, no, and I think the other thing too there is that, you know, there's a comment in an earlier episode about like working with the military where like the idea is that... Not the bad military who have the bad guns, but the good military with no. the good guns. It's just it's a, a central a... conflict for multiple episodes. Right, exactly. And indeed, one of the characters makes a decision to do so in a way that creates conflict with the other characters in a way that I think is a really... Re- I mean, in terms of thematic stuff about all the way... Because I think... Do I want to broaden? There, there's some interesting ways about the way in which different characters interact with queerness and not and which characters who therefore make the decision that they can ally with the forces of the authorities and ness yeah. and i think there's some really i mean i in- did find it quite head stretching that there is an episode later on where the trans woman specifically calls the police as her response to being endangered that was like hmm, yeah. that seems at odds with the rest of this show uh, yes i think that was that, that, to be honest, that felt like a that felt like a script writing thing. Other well, than the cops do get then blown up by immediately by, killed. They by, don't achieve by, anything. They get blown up by redacted noise, which is almost literally what is happening. Um, I, I once attended a a training seminar as part of my um my current um PhD work, as I sort of have to sometimes about how to deliver pres- good presentations. It was quite good in the way in a sort of you know, it was a in some ways like a like a, a very seminary seminar, right? It was it was it was like a guy who did stuff for businesses and stuff as well. But actually, I did take away some good stuff from it, and it was a fun time. But he had some good advice for delivering presentations in that, which is um, uh, he had some acronym for it, but I can't remember what that was. But it was like, please let me feel something. Like I have had the experience, as many people possibly have in their lives, whether at school or university or at work, of sitting in front of a very boring presenter, saying nothing in particular, and just going through slides very slowly. And it's it's not even bad. It's just not. If you're listening right now, you can relate. Right, right, exactly. Except I feel like. Hopefully, if our, our opinions are bad, you're at least getting cross about that. Because the thing is, the worst thing about that's my, that's what I uh, uh, basically strive for. In life. Right, exactly. It certainly ma- it has to work for me. Takes bad uh, enough to make everyone cross. <laughs> and the thing is, Chibnall Who isn't even that. It's just there. It's just it right, feels, so at times it feels like Doctor Who broadcasts so that they keep the rights. Um, like Chibnall, I think people say he doesn't have ideas, and I think that's not true. Chibnall has ideas, and they don't. Like he doesn't know how to deliver them and actually say things. He, he, but the idea, the the initial ideas still appear so, to the point where I think Chibnall could have the concept. Oh, I want to do a story about how Unit could actually be antagonistic and and to some people a worrying force. Uh, and I think that that is an idea that Chibnall could have, and he would do one episode, and it would not drift. It would not be set up in episodes before it. It would not have consequences in an episode after it. He would do one episode which tried to portray Unit as causing difficulties, being antagonistic, but it would then equivocate and also balance it out the other way, and the whole thing would finish with a, like, well, Unit just did a terrible thing to this person, 
but then we've also been told they saved today, and actually, what am like? Basically, so you'd make kablam. It so, is so, kablam. It's, it's so a... who's to say if they're bad or not? Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, I'm... exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, that's that is the noise that I associate with Chevron, who is just. Uh, I think the other thing too, right? You know, we've been talking about the moment, and clearly, to a sense, I mean, I mean, the pre- the only trans actor who's appeared on the show before he has been Finney is uh, Bethany Black, who had a very small part in Sleep No More, which I'm not even sure. Where she, she plays a mute character, right? A mute slave cyborg character, right? That's the previous appearance, and I think going from that to Russell T Davis' troll face. Oh yes, Yasmin Finney is playing literally Rose, the iconic character from my iconic production uh, run on Doctor Who. It's just like, right, cool. This okay, is welcome back. The Russell. thing. This is so. This is if I've got summing up points, mm-hmm. then one of them is that. The the representation aspect of Doctor Who redacted doesn't actually to me like okay here, here, I'm gonna, this is this is the bit where I get cancelled that doesn't mean a lot to me personally sure uh, and I I kind I don't of think it has to it I just like, I was surprised this, this it meant is, something to me no no I haven't I haven't finished I haven't finished getting myself cancelled yet okay because um, I look at that and I look at stuff like sex education and. Like it is good that these things are not speaking to me. They shouldn't be. They should be speaking to the Darth Maul generation. Uh, strange callback to what I was saying. It, they should be speaking to the next generation. Yeah, I think nowadays it's um, the Kylo Ren generation. Right. Um, no, he was never a Sith. That's not really. In Go fact, Ray was meant to. Ray was meant to be the okay, apprentice. Cool. Yeah, I mean, well, I okay. Moving on. Anyway, so. Those things, I see them and I kind of see, please don't at me, they are following a template for presenting themselves, which is not bad because it's, it's like, they are trying to speak to people. It makes sense that they therefore take on a common form, which is the form that speaks to those people. Those people are not me. And when I look at it, I just kind of see a kind of representational template, which I don't click to at all. Sure. But, I mean, I, I know um, the kind of thing you mean. I didn't feel it. With also, I, so I, much, I, but... I, I'm just a, I'm just very bad at talking to other trans people. That's true. Because um, it's worth saying you are older than me. Not by a lot, but probably enough that yeah. I could see why we might feel a bit different about this. I I felt I fall into a very awkward gap actually. Mm. Um, like if you go many years older, you get into the kind of trans elders who are often quite politically not great and and like are not me. Um, and if you go much younger, you get into kind of the generation that came after me, and it's like ah, the mid mid thirties trans people do not fit into either of these camps. No, and, and indeed, I mean, I am not a mid thirties trans person, and I know people who are, and I, yeah, I, I basically, I, I think I, I feel very much just on the edge of perhaps the what you're talking about, but uh, I, I know the thing to which you refer. Um, like I'm not very online, but I'm also not a dinosaur. Um, no, this is true. Um, but, but, but to finish the point uh, and say something more positive, um, sure. so it's not the rep aspect. It speaks to me, but because it is 
do not and and because the rep is there because it is coming from a genuine voice of a genuine right. person with a genuine thing to say there is politics there and it is the politics the fact that it is saying things meaningful proper defined non-centrist stances that yes. uh is is what yeah. i like and, 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 and to be honest i think that's more what i it's not simply the fact of them existing and being friends that doesn't tend to move mountains for me but it's just it's the part of the authenticity of seeing the representation for me is the authenticity of having a politics of i mean the show doesn't have more than one trunks character and i think that's that's sad to a degree but you do get a little bit of the sense of you, you, you that feeling you have when you're talking about trans stuff with other trans people and you're just like oh it's such a relief to not have to just go over the basics and just... the, the, the problem is that sometimes i speak to somebody in the secret trans voice and then realize they're actually just like a very alternative cis person right right no yes and it's and 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 you can immediately feel the difference um if if you're not if you're not trans and you're listening to this i'm afraid we won't explain if you are trans Maybe you know. Well, I mean, no, it's I've, fine because if not they're not every, trans, they I, can't I, actually hear the frequencies that we're no, emitting. And I will say, I, I don't want to create the idea that there's some kind of universal. There's no one universal way to be trans or anything like that. But I think, I think it is something I've, I, I've, I've noticed. And, and I, what I did like about this is, it feels like Maybe it's my way. But yeah, quite. Um, and also, it's 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 also more in general to show about queer women. Don't you know? The, all, yes, all, I mean, there's the whole like. All, um, all, all. I don't I don't know how progressive it is, but there's the whole subplot about. The lesbian girl fancies the other girl, but she's got a boyfriend, and so she hates Who's the boyfriend. Dodgy in a way that the the show isn't going to ex- fully explore, but there's just some like like he is like I, it's not the most progressive plotline, but it like it doesn't have to necessarily be progressive. It's real, right? The thing is that it might not be progressive, but it happens all the time. So yeah, exactly. yeah. Um... And if you think that all fiction has to only show the nice sides of everything, then you're wrong. Wow, okay, now you are getting cancelled on Twitter. Now I am getting cancelled. Uh, I'm just, I'm going full, full spice. Flix at, is at Eiffel, uh, E-I-P-H-E-L. Eiffel, no, it's pronounced I- like the tower. Eiffel, it's right, Eiffel, yeah. like the tower. Uh, E-I-P-H-E-L, please at her. Um, she likes having Twitter fights. Um, yeah, I know more about writing than everyone. Right. Uh, I can speak from personal experience that if you want to get in an argument with Flick about whether or not you're right, it's just better to just. I love I love arguing with you though because, like, eventually you just agree with me. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean that from extensive after extensive browbeating. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the trouble is that I have essentially a conflict avoidant personality, so I just <laughs> I simply change myself in order to make it stop. Um, I had another point. Do you have any other points? No, I don't think really. I, I, so, uh, I, I think headlines are watch redacted. Would be really interested to see what you think. Um, also, in terms of future... Listen to. Listen to, yeah, listen to relative digression stuff. In terms of future relative digression stuff, I don't think we have any solid ideas right now, but I, I'm hoping to get... Well, I'm going to talk about Solarians. Right, so we're probably going to talk about lizard people at some point. We, um, obviously, we've missed the boat on the Sea Devils episode, but I want to. I still want to talk about them. Uh, yeah, indeed. Um, I, I was trying to, remember, I was trying to remember what you meant, and then I realised there'd been an episode of Doctor Who quite recently, but um, it, I had forgotten about it literally as soon as I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, it does just slip through the mind. Just, anyway, just, the, 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 anyway, the last thing that I was going to say was that um, it's weirdly paradoxical that Redacted does feel progressive 
whilst every episode is kind of about an old Russell T Davies era monster, the idea of a drama podcast in the style of a non-fiction podcast is not a new idea. Like, no, exactly. the format and indeed the like IP it's mining is all established slash nostalgic and yet it feels progressive because it's doing it all in the service to a voice yes um and also a a voice and and a voice which is of the now which Uh, is not the voice of chibnall or moffat or even rtd really i'm interested to see what the finale is like but in some ways i think it has low-key been a meditation on what doctor who means to different people um, hmm. um, I kind of want to see how they land it before kind of committing too hard to, to to that claim. But I think it's because the show is is about people's relationships to Doctor, to the Doctor, that can't help but be about their relationship, sort of be analogous to the relationships people have to Doctor Who, in a way that's interestingly self-referential, and I think is part of what gives the uh the piece its charm. So yeah, I can't um, believe that we didn't bring up Love and Monsters. Right. Well, talking of stuff, I, I feel like forget. that was a massive but, oversight. But you're, but you're right. Actually, it's weird that we didn't bring up Love and Monsters because, kind of, in many ways, I would say this is Love and Monsters again, but done as a podcast. And yes, better. it is. Uh, but I, I like. So, I, as you're aware, I think Love and Monsters is like the most important episode of the revised series of Doctor Who. Right. No, no, I do, and for good reason. Uh, I'm not. Flick, I think we just had a discussion about why I don't disagree with you, and so I'm simply acknowledging that. <laughs> okay. Oh! Oh! Ah. Listener, I'm hearing <laughs> distressed sounds on the other end as Flick has fallen out of her chair. Oh, God. She can be right all the time about everything, everything and everything and everyone. But she can't stand and sit in a chair for very long. So who's winning You're still now? There, I'm still here. Hello. Yes, but I've wrenched my head. Hi. Uh, right. Sorry, I'm back. Uh, I, my, so my desk chair th- I had been ailing for in. some time. That was very funny. <laughs> my desk, my ailing desk chair, I finally got rid of. So I'm just on a dinner chair, and I was balanced on two legs, um, and, and I just exhibited the whole. This is why you don't balance chairs on two legs issue. Uh, it's true. Yeah. My parents used to, my dad used to be a teacher and uh yeah. He he it, yep. p- people do hurt themselves. Um so hurt uh, quite badly. Yeah. Uh right, well to just before you die of um like horrible injuries, um you were telling us about why love and monsters is actually really important. Right. I mean so this is this is like a whole podcast in itself. Which I know it's in, it's interesting you say important rather than good. Well, I think I think it's quite good as well, but important is the is the main thing. Um, like I so to like mm-hmm. the the potted version is that it prevented Doctor Who taking on a closed format of what Doctor Who was by deliberately knocking like being not like anything that had come before it. Um, uh, and one way that I perhaps haven't spoken about as much before when I've discussed it in the past is the fact that it had a voice that wasn't the normal Doctor Who voice. That its voice is, in a sense, I think it's probably Elton's 
voice. I mean, I don't think anything's been quite like Love Monsters, but I think it's significant that, say, something like Blink is so well regarded. Because even though that is much closer to an episode of Doctor Who that's like yes. other stuff, I still think it is different. But, no, it is, but the, 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 the chronologically, you, you don't get Blink unless you've had Love Monsters first. No, no, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I disagree. I think you're right, um, thinking about it. Um... Because there's nothing quite like that in season one that I think about it. Um... No, there isn't. That that that's that's part of the thing as well. If like that's why there was, I think, the danger that it could have become so rote is because there isn't anything like that in season. And actually, one. it's very hard to imagine Chibnall doing anything like that. I don't think he has. Mm. I, I almost feel like Chibnall. If he has strengths, they are almost in that direction. And certainly earlier on with things like Demons of the Punjab. Sure, although I think in its structure and telling, it's still very much like an episode. Of, I mean, I I get that it's saying things, right? But I, I still think in terms of the, of the, the, the one of the weaknesses, arguably, of Demons of the Punjab is, is its voice is still the Doctor's voice so much of it. Yes, I mean, that's definitely the problem with Rosa, is right. that it doesn't know how to tell that story whilst also being in the position of the Doctor. Yeah, and I think... Um... And this is, again, a thing that I think would be solved if it was the unmitigated voice of someone whose story that was. But if you look at Rosa, yes, Mallory Blackman works on it, but she is co-credited with Chibnall. She is not given a sole credit there. One thing I want to close on is that I think it's actually interesting that the podcast that they in character make in Redacted is called, it's, it's like the Blue Box podcast. It's about the Blue Box. It's about the TARDIS. And actually, the characters mm. don't know much. Indeed, most of the characters don't know anything for reasons that you have to find out by listening to it about the Doctor. The Doctor is... No. And it's not about the Doctor. It's about the TARDIS. And I think my final thesis statement is that actually, in many ways, Doctor Who is really a show about the TARDIS. As much as, at least, as it is a show about the Doctor. And the future... I wanted to write and, a story about this. And the future of the show in the sort of big picture RTD MCU way isn't going to be necessarily about having a show in which you have a million different Doctors. But mm, yeah. something about the way in which the TARDIS lets no, you right, I'm with you now. time and space. And I, I don't think I would say the TARDIS even. Like, the TARDIS is a, is a figure for the universe, but the TARDIS is also quite bound up with the Doctor. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the weight on the TARDIS there. Sure, so but what the TARDIS represents the expanse in terms of, of possibility. Right, exactly. That's what I mean. So it's, it's the TARDIS But yes, the point is, is that Redacted shows that you can do a 10-part drama which is absolutely Doctor Who and really rich and powerful in which the Doctor is not a storytelling device almost at all, although we'll see how it ends because, like, minor spoilers here, but I won't say it in too depth, but uh, the Doctor has been set up to take a a more prominent place in where it's going to end. Yeah, well, I'm interested to see. Well, they've only got one episode left, though, and that's not a long episode. Yeah, yeah, so... it, fin it finishes on Sunday. Um, 
which hopefully will be around the time that this episode comes out. So thank you for listening. It's That's the plan. Great to so be back. Look for it coming out in June of 2023. Oh yeah. Um, it's been great to be back. Um, I've been Renner. I've been Flick. And this has been Relative Digressions. <laughs>